is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, August 25th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from back in Connecticut, Taylor Shrink and Bruce Baldwin. Sarah Abbott has this Friday off. I'm Buster Olney uh, for working from my home in Montana. And guys, we just got devastating news since the last podcast that we taped on Wednesday morning about Shohei Otani and his UCLA injury. Uh, Tell me how you heard about this, Taylor, and what your reaction was. Well, at ESPN, we've probably mentioned this before, but we get a uh, an email about every you know five hours, six hours or so with the top headlines, and there it was, top of the inbox. Very sad, not something you want in the inbox. You get a lot of bad emails, but uh, you know that's definitely toward the top. Yeah, I I just it felt like an absolute body blow. Like, oh my god, like his his time as a pitcher because it could be that he's going to face a second Tommy John surgery that might be truncated. Bruce, what did, what were you thinking about? I mean, you. We just got the news about Dwight Gooden uh, having his number retired. He was someone who, when we saw him as a young pitcher, you expected uh, everlasting greatness. Instead, it was cut short by a lot of issues. Uh, what was, you know, maybe that's going to be the case with Otani as a pitcher. So, what was your reaction? Yeah, just sad. I mean, it's been incredible to watch what he's done in the past seasons, but especially this year. And, uh, I mean, I saw someone float the idea of, oh, maybe he could be a closer, just less, less lower pitch count, just like he can still do it. But it just in in general, just just sad. I mean, it's still at least we're going to be able to see him hit. At least that's the plan so far. But man, it's just it's brutal when you see something this incredible have to be cut short. And I, you know, got information since uh, doing some TV yesterday morning about Otani and the question of whether or not he would want to be a closer question of whether or not uh, maybe his uh, the forthcoming free agent contract would include some incentive clauses for pitching. Very interesting information. I'm going to be talking about that with Jeff Passan coming up. That news was actually delivered by Perry Manassian late on Wednesday night. Give a listen to him in his press conference. Obviously, Shohei left the game today. Um, we did imaging in between games. He does have a tear, uh, you know, and he won't pitch the rest of the year. So we're going to get a second opinion, go from there, but it's basically day-to-day. Obviously, he hit. So, um, you know, that's that's where we're at. That's a UCL tear? Yes. Yeah. So, again, I don't have, as far as plans and details, I don't have those yet. You know, he's going to have been in contact with his representation. Um, obviously, he hit the second game. He's played with this in 18, so, um, you know, but with that being said, we'll take it day by day and, and um, you know, see where it goes. Yeah, and of course, this is going to greatly complicate his free agency. Uh, the decision about uh, what's to come next with his arm injury, let's face it, it's not going to be made by the Angels. It's going to be made by Otani and his representation because, uh, in part, of his upcoming free agency. We're going to talk about all that with Jeff Passan. Otani has indicated that he will continue to hit moving forward. Uh, He still has big numbers in front of him. He still wants to wrap up the American League MVP race. So uh, just uh, sad news for baseball, for sure. The Angels are just about out of the running, but the playoff races continue. Yesterday, the Orioles faced the Blue Jays. It was 2-0 Toronto, bottom of the fourth inning, when this happened. 
Rios fires, big shot, no doubt, see you later. It's 2-2 Orioles, a moonshot, 417 feet, 110 off the bat for Santander, unbelievable. That was Melanie Newman on WBAL, and the Orioles took the lead in the bottom of the fifth. Rios at the belt, here comes the full pound pitch, and this one's hammered, deep right field, way back, and this one is gone. Into the second row, Cedric Mullins gives the Orioles a 4-2 lead. All that running for Austin Hayes, now he can just trot home as he taps on home plate. Cedric Mullins with a big shot. Number 11 for Cedric in a 4-2 Oriole lead. On their way to a 5-3 victory. The Twins played the Rangers. The Rangers, who've been struggling of late, had a 5-4 lead, bottom of the eighth inning. And then this happened. And the 1-1 pitch, a line drive, left center field, deep in the gap. Tavares going back, still going. That's over his head and off the wall. Walter around third, heading home. He will score. Correa to second base. We're tied at five. Carlos Correa. It's a game-tying RBI double to left center. Walter scores from first. All tied at five here at Target Field. That from the Treasure Island Baseball Network. And then that rally continued. It's up to Jeffers as he swings and sends one high and deep to left field. Back it goes. Deep it goes. Gone! Ryan Jeffers, a pinch hit. Go ahead to run homer. And the Twins surge in front. It's 7-5 at Target Field. After literally crawling, crawling to first base in Milwaukee yesterday, that allowed the Twins to score their seventh run. Jeffers provides the seventh run tonight with a home run trot. A great comeback win for Minnesota. The Red Sox were in Houston for the final game of their four-game series against the Astros, and they took an early lead with help from a rookie. On one, he drives one high and deep in the right field. Adios! Willier Abreu launches his first major league home run, and it is 3-0 Red Sox. Yeah, from WEI 93.7 FM, the Red Sox win 17-1. They wound up piling up a lot of runs and getting a nice split in a four-game series in Houston. At the end of the day, the American League West race, the Rangers are still in first place, but just a game ahead of the Astros and Mariners, who are in a virtual tie. In the wildcard race, Tampa Bay, which swept the Rockies this week, is six games ahead of the pack. The Mariners and the Astros would make the playoffs as of today. The Blue Jays and the Red Sox would not. Toronto is a game and a half out of playoff position, and the Red Sox are three and a half games back. News yesterday that wasn't surprising. Nationals World Series MVP Steven Strasburg is set to retire. This is likely to happen in a press conference on September 9th. The Nationals and Strasburg have worked out a deal about the remainder of his contract. Incredibly, that $245 million deal yielded the Washington Nationals about 31 innings. The Nationals, by the way, faced the Yankees. They were trailing 3-2, to two, top of the seventh inning, and this happened. Canely sets and pitches. Swing a high drive, left center field and deep. Bader going back on the run to the warning track. Near the wall, looks up, and it's gone! Into the Nationals' bullpen for Alex Cole. And the Nationals lead 4-3. to three. 
and Yankee fans unhappy, booing in the background. Nationals went on to win this game 6-5, to five, and Aaron Boone was asked, is it frustrating to lose another close one? Yes, um, but we got we got to move on too. You know what I mean? Talking about winning a series, we for nine days there we couldn't win a game. So, um, you know, I, I thought we swung the bats well today. You know, made a couple mistakes that you know show up in this game, and um, you know I thought you know Big G's at bat with that first and third where he scalds it to the second baseman. You know that's that's a game where it's almost like you you had a chance to put it away and kind of doesn't bounce your way. Um, we got to keep going. Taylor, what'd you think about his initial answer? Yes. Yeah, yes. It is frustrating <laughs> to lose another close one. I think we had this conversation with Tim. Like he just gets asked the same questions every day. Uh, it's gotta be like living in hell for him. <laughs> uh, like pulling teeth. That's yeah. for sure. I was talking with the general manager who was just uh, speaking. Thankfully that he doesn't have to be sitting in the micro in front of microphones twice a day, the way that managers like Aaron Boone do. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. And look, a hot ticket these days, anything involving the Dodgers, who, of course, been playing so well. Freddie Freeman hit a milestone. Freeman lines it to right. That's going to head to the corner and to the wall. Bets around second. He's on his way to third. He'll be held there. And Freddie Freeman is in with his 47th double. That ties his career high. He set a career high in doubles last year with 47. He's got his major league leading 47th here in Cleveland. I'll tell you what, even some people in the stands wearing Dodger blue standing up and doing the front. That, of course, was Tim Neverett and Rick Monday and AM570 LA Sports. The Dodgers, after winning a suspended game, the completion of a suspended game, win the second game 9-3. to and some bad news for fans in Oakland. The Oakland Athletics have submitted their application for relocation to Major League Baseball. A's owner John Fisher told ESPN on Thursday, putting the team one step closer to a future in Las Vegas. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we have officially wrapped conference preview season on the College Game Day podcast, the SEC preview is up as of Wednesday. We did a 30-minute interview with Kirby Smart. Really great show. And then we've got college football games this weekend. It's week zero, so the slate isn't um, you know particularly juicy, but there will be games that you can watch, and uh, the guys are previewing that with uh, their new Friday picker, Stanford Steve, noted gambler. He'll be on throughout the entire season on Fridays picking games with Reese and Pete. So uh, a lot of fun over there. Check it out, the College Game Day podcast. You can watch it on YouTube or listen wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. All right, I take offense to that. Vanderbilt plays host to Hawaii tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry. And you're saying it's a light fair. Let's just move on. I'm just saying I'm kind of taking that personally. Hey, Buster, I'll, I'll I'll improve your spirits here. All the guys picked Vanderbilt to cover the spread against the Rainbow nice. Warriors. There you go. Nice. Well, as it should be. Yeah. As it should be. Vanderbilt football, a storied history. The drive for four wins, Buster. That's what we're, we're gunning for this wow. year. Wow. <laughs> wow. We were in a good spot, and now it's just mean. It's tough. It's tough. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. 
That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. The man. Swing and a high fly ball out towards left field. The voice. That one well struck. The legend. On its way. Out of here. Bugciambi on baseball tonight. And this Bugciambi, the legend who has all this travel going on these days. But I saw when we played that open for you, you just, it lifted you. I guess every me. time we play it for you, it just, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I am Bugciambi. I am a legend. I need that to be my my ringer and my answering machine. I got to get that for you from you. That that would work well, you know. Like you're yeah. meeting somebody at a party, you're trying to impress a gal, uh, you know, and have yes. your phone ring and and that voice in the back. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's, that's me. that open is about me. Single, ready to mingle. Here's my voicemail. <laughs> exactly. Well, this Sunday you are stepping in for Carl Ravitch, uh, doing play by play on Sunday Night Baseball. We got Braves. We got Giants. Got a lot of interesting ideas kicking around. Give us a little overview, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Braves, are, I think, are in an interesting spot. Obviously, they'd like to be the one seed, but I think the thought would be they want to make sure that their pitching is on a full tank of gas going into the playoffs because I think last year that wasn't the case. And the Dodgers can talk to them about that because the year the Braves won the World Series in 2021, that's what happened to the Dodgers. They ran out of gas trying to track down – the Giants in the division. So I think there's that, but the the Braves are a really good team. If they get Kyle right back and healthy, you know, to me, that's look out. And then on the Giants side, you know, obviously it's not the 107 win team, um, but still built in a, in a similar mode as far as, you know, they're always looking to get that platoon advantage. And then, you know, it's interesting to watch the way they cobble together innings and cover innings. I've said this on the air, general managers, you know, there used to be a day when we were growing up where it's like, we have five guys in our starting rotation. We hope they each pitch 200 innings, get us a thousand, and then the bullpen will take care of the rest. And now it's literally, our team is going to pitch 1,450 innings. How are we going to cover it? And they've done it mainly by Logan Webb and Alex Cobb and then whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's 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 fun. You have two. I, I think two well-run organizations. I w- is a, a, one of the first things I would say. Yeah, and I think uh, your point about teams trying to line up there for the their pitching for the postseason is dead on. We saw the Phillies last weekend in that little league game, uh, you know, little league classic in Williamsport. 
Uh, I think it's pretty clear they're trying to do the same thing. They would love to mix in an extra starter so that Zach Wheeler, by the time we get to the postseason, uh, you know, that he's in good shape. Giants don't have that sort of flexibility where, where, where they are with their pitching staff. It's, a, you know, two teams in very different spots. And it will be interesting to see what the Braves uh, get out of Cal Wright going forward. I'm sure we're going to be talking about him and about the Braves pitching staff on Sunday Night Baseball. The team that you see on a daily basis, the Chicago Cubs, yeah. another nice win yesterday. Tell me what you're seeing in the Cubs right now and, and uh, asking you to predict what's going to happen in the National League wild card race. The Central is, seems to be folly. It, it, it just yeah. bursts in streaks all over the place. I, so I think the first thing uh, that I'll tell you is I'll can I make it about me for a second because one of the things yeah when, I wouldn't expect anything different go ahead thank thank you um, <laughs> when I was a national guy only I had done local before but one of the things that I liked about covering things nationally is that you got that thirty five thousand foot view. And I think there's something about watching a team every day that it's just you're so close to it. It's just you're, you're and you just get sucked into these ebbs and flows. And I can remember like coming in as the national guy and a team that, you know, I'd be familiar with. And you talk to coaches, managers, broadcasters, and it'd be like, man, we can't score. And then you're sitting here looking, you're like, you're second in the league and runs per game. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it's that type of stuff. So anyway, all of that is to lead up to say, now I'm that guy. Because I've watched the Cubs now play nine straight games where they've been decided by two runs or less. And it feels like they're figuring out ways to win close games. And you're familiar with my work. Like, I don't really believe in stuff like that. But it sort of seems like that's what's happening. There's this vibe where if they cough up a lead, if they're down just a little bit, you just kind of feel like, eh, they're going to be okay. So, look, it's a very professional team. I think it starts with the shortstop. Um, and I think, honestly, the two middle guys, they should both win gold gloves, in my opinion. Um, it's Swanson and Horner. And... They just go about their business in a certain way. They've scored way more than I thought they would. If you had told me in spring training this team's going to be third in the National League, fifth in the majors in runs per game, I would have told you you're out of your mind. But you look at it now, and they'll hit Jammer Candelario seventh, you know, and he's, you know, you're you're talking about a, you know, over 800 OPS guy hitting seventh. That's a, that is a pretty good lineup. So it's been an interesting watch, I think, They've caught it better because of Swanson, Horner, Bellinger. Bellinger has been amazing. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think that I, I would start with this: the fact that the Brewers are up by three in the loss column that gives them the advantage. How's that? How's that for analysis? <laughs> Thanks for that analysis. Yes. Uh, which you know, but I am as you were going through that, I'm like, oh my god, is he going to say the word clutch? Is the word clutch no, I didn't going quite to come out there, of Bouchambi's mouth? But I mean, Jan Gomes the other day, the Cubs were up four to nothing, and with the bases loaded, Kerry Carpenter's at the plate, and you're sitting there saying to yourself, "Okay, so the only thing James Tyon can't do here is give up a grand slam. Like that's just the only swing and a drive, deep right feet, and and all of a sudden it's four four, and there's just something, I don't know, man. There's something like." 
and they're not done. And so they dig in there and hang in there. And then when Jan Gomes, I actually said, you can find the play-by-play, but I said Jan Gomes with a clutch RBI single and the Cubs oh my on top 5-4. Yeah. I don't yeah, even know you, who I you, am Were anymore. you appalled with yourself when you heard the word? No, I was your delighted mouth? with myself. I'm always delighted with myself. Remember. <laughs> you know, and I would say this, and I've got other things i got to talk to you before Jeff Passon joins us in a few minutes. Um, I, I would say this. I do think there are players who handle pressure situations differently. You know, Derek Jeter was a great example for me. He was the same player in the postseason that he was in the regular season. I don't Agreed. think he elevated his play. I think his Agreed. run rate was just the same. He was convinced he's going to win, and I think Dansby Swanson is one of those guys. And I've I had agree. this conversation with him about his late season success he had with the Bra- or late inning success he had with the Braves, and, and that's clearly something uh, as you referenced is uh, seemingly carried over with the Cubs. All right, uh, I wanted to tap into your New York roots for a couple of quick stories. One, the Mets decide to retire the numbers of Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. These are two guys who are not going to be knocked to the Hall of Fame, but I think it's really cool. This is the Mets honoring their fan base effectively because these guys are so important to their fan base. God, I'm so glad you asked me this question. I was born in Philadelphia. My parents met at Drexel. My dad's side got their hooks in me. They were big Phillies fans. So when I moved to New York when I was seven years old, I stayed a Phillies fan. But we went to Shea a lot. Some Yankee. My mom's side was all Yankees fans. But in high school, I went to high school from 84 to 88, and it's funny, but, like, for my childhood, okay, so the Yankees won in 77 and 78, but during the 80s, New York baseball was Don Mattingly and the Mets. Like, that was basically what the 80s were. And that team, that 86 Met team, captured the kids in my high school in a way. I mean, do you remember when you get to first base? And the whoever just singled would go to Bill Robinson and they'd give him the double finger tap at yeah. first. Like I had friends doing that in high school. And those teams, I mean, as a kid, I hated those Mets teams, but I also recognized how good they were, the personality. Gooden was so amazing. Strawberry. And just even though it wasn't the guys I rooted for, I was up close and to it. And I will tell you this as a funny story. The Cubs played at City Field recently, and we had like a two-hour rain delay. I've been doing this a long time, and I've known Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez for a long time. And I sat there with Joe Girardi talking to Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez, um, and we just laughed and laughed with Hernandez showing pictures of his cat and just talking in and out. It was the night Boone got thrown out by Laz Diaz, and we saw that together live, and we just laughed. And I just sat there talking baseball, and there was a small part of me that was like, wow, 16-year-old me is really digging this. Um, And so when I think of, like, what Gooden and Strawberry meant to, you know, the kids from my childhood, it's pretty special. Yeah, I think you described it perfectly. Uh, look, there's always been so much conversation about those mid-80s Mets about, you know, what they could have accomplished beyond what winning the World Series in 1986. Disappointment that they didn't build a dynasty, that sort of thing. It does feel like that over time the Mets fans have really grown to celebrate that team and worry less about what they didn't accomplish. And as I'm talking with you, you're making faces at Jeff Passan, which is not Because he's taking me. a picture of me right now. I'm familiar with Passan's game. 
He's got that giant head of hair. Like, you know that he sat there. I, I feel like if we snuck up on Passon in the middle of the night, he'd have one of those, like, bonnets on, like the ladies have, to keep his hair just like either that or he takes that thing off and puts it on a mannequin. Either way, it'd be something really funny if we went to his house at, like, 3 in the morning. Can I, can right, I, I jump in here? A chance, let me give Jeff a chance to retort, and then I'm going to kick you out of here, boo, because i got to talk to Jeff about Otani. Go ahead, Jeff. The floor is yours. Okay. Number one, I was leaning back playing video games, not taking a picture of you. You like uh, how I mean, how egomaniacal are you to sit here and think that I'm taking a picture of you on a Zoom? Number two, I don't wear a bonnet. I mean, I like I don't know what it is. I wake up with the hair looking the same, which says to me that I'm just a very peaceful sleeper and that I don't have a lot of stress and strain and consternation going on in my life. On the other hand, you look like you just rolled out of bed. Have you That's touched correct. your I hair did. this morning? No. Okay, good. Um, good, good, good. So in terms of ego, for the people that can't see this, the guy talking is wearing a sweatshirt that says all juice. It's um, Therese Paler. He's the all juice team. I know. And then, you know, when you broke your back, I didn't get a thank you note from concocting the T-shirt that said breaking backs and stories since 2002. And I sent you a bobblehead. Um, the thank you note actually was sent last week. Are you? Sh- have you been home? I haven't been home. Okay. <laughs> I sent out a bunch of thank you notes last week. So if you haven't gotten one yet, that's on you, not me. That hurts my feeling. I'm wow. sure Good to see does. you guys. I it's love good you. Good to All see right. you too, Boog. Thanks, Boog. So that rolls into Jeff Fasson, who joins us. Uh, Jeff, uh, you know, you, you, I'm speechless at this point after hearing you and Boog <laughs> going back and forth. But I got to change the topic. We got to talk about Shoei Otani. I've got hard out because I've got a dentist appointment. So we've got about 15 minutes to talk. Uh, tell me about how you heard the news about Otani, where you were, and, and what was going through your mind. I got a text from someone, and it just said, oh, no, Otani. And anytime I hear, oh, no, with someone, it's just, you know, it's a punch to the gut. With Otani, though, it, it was different. I I assumed the oh no Otani was a he's got a you know he's got a strained hamstring or you know the arm fatigue is going to keep him out for the season but UCL I did not have that on the bingo card because he has seemingly been pretty good since the Tommy John surgery there was that flare up with a flexor uh, in 2020 but aside from that. I mean, his arm health hasn't been much of an issue. And I, I know, you know, as as recently as a few weeks ago, like he had a blow up three starts at the beginning of July that pushed his ERA to 3.71. And Shohei Otani right around then set a goal. He said, I want to finish this year with an ERA under three. And... The next start after that goal, he went out and threw the shutout against Detroit. 
and has not given up and earned runs since and was down to 3.17, I think. So uh, you don't set goals like that if you think there's something wrong with your arm. And, uh, you know, to have this come up, uh, especially the timing with free agency imminence, um, it, it was it was stunning and uh, sad in ways, but also, like as a reporter and as someone who's already transfixed by this story of what free agency is going to be like, it just adds another layer of intrigue to me. Total change of context for him going into free agency. Just talking with people around the game yesterday, talking with executives, talking about agents. It was the hot topic. You know, how does this impact his, uh, you know, the bidding on him? And, and I think it, it's going to have a dramatic impact. A couple of things. I wrote a piece for ESPN.com yesterday about, uh, you know, what potentially how this could affect his free agency. And some thoughts that I got from people were, one, in theory, you know, maybe some teams would get creative and try to cover the pitching uncertainty by some sort of incentive clauses based on starts, based on appearances. Uh, You know, maybe this will uh, nudge him to be a a closer. And a couple of pieces of feedback I got by the end of the day from folks were, He's not an incentive clause type guy. Correct. And he's not going to have an interest in being a bullpen guy. And Jeff, you know, maybe that'll change over time because, uh, and maybe the reality of of how this is all going to change is uh, free agency will begin to kick in. Or maybe some team will bet on the greatest talent that we've ever seen in baseball and say, you know what? We're going to assume at some point he's going to come back as a pitcher. What do you think? Uh, you and I disagree on where the number is going to be. I still think he's going to get $500 million. And listen, a lot of people pushed back on me yesterday when I said that within the industry. And uh, to, to me, it makes sense for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the bat. Like, the bat is elite, elite. The bat is the best in baseball this season. And I think you can say it's probably a top five bat in any given season. So when we look at what elite bats get out on the free agent market, I think Aaron Judge is a very indicative case. A uh, year older than Otani when he hit free agency, he got $360 million from the Yankees over nine years. I think we all probably agree at this point Otani's deal is going to start at 10 years um so I think 40 million for the bat is not an unreasonable thing when you compound that with the value that he brings to a franchise because of who he is because of the star that he is and and the ancillary benefits you get from that I you know I'm not going to assign a number 10 20 100 200 million to that because it's it's too hard to peg, but uh, it, I think it's certainly a very valuable thing. And then with the pitching, I just look at it like this, Buster. I know Jacob DeGrom, when he's healthy, is the best pitcher in the world, but that when he's healthy is quite a caveat. And the Texas Rangers still gave him six years and $185 million this offseason. And I understand that the Rangers bid was significantly higher than everyone else's out there. And they blew everyone out of the water. But I I feel like Otani just because of who he is has the ability to incite another team to do that. Right. When we talk about free agency, it's not what the average bid is going to be. It's who wants him the most and where are they willing to go to get him? 
And I still feel like there's going to be at least a team out there. Because remember, that's all it takes. Just one team. There's going to be a team out there that's going to see Otani in a similar way to pre-UCL injury. And they're going to go bonkers for him. Yeah. And, and to your point about DeGrom, the response in the industry when the Rangers gave him that contract was, my God, they're insane. And yeah. in, in the end, it may turn out that they were insane, that they don't totally. get ever close to value. But you're exactly right. All it takes is one team, which is why I'd say to you, like, I'm not advocating for, like, I don't know if he's going to get $500 million. My guess is, is that a lot of teams are going to land on, you know what, because it looks like he's going to be DH type, you know, $350 million in that range is a hitter. Then yeah. you build in some kind of pitching component. But all it takes is one really excited owner. And it might be that Artie Moreno could be that guy. I do wonder, you know Andrew Freeman well, head of baseball operations for the Dodgers. You know, I've covered him a long time. I really, what one thing that I did come out of the, the events of the last 24 hours was, you know what? There's a lot of inherent risk with Otani going forward. And that is not how Andrew does business. We know that the Dodgers with their machinations last winter, boy, they seem to be poised for an Otani run. Now I wonder with all this, this does not seem like an Andrew Friedman type move to do the insane offer like we saw maybe from the Rangers. That's not him. But on the other hand, Artie Moreno, I mean, he's sitting there. He made the decision to keep Otani through the trade deadline. He knows better than anybody what Otani's value is to his franchise. I kind of wonder if this is going to push Otani back to the Angels. I still think Otani wants to win, Buster. And that's why I'm very skeptical about the Angels. Okay. Uh, you know, I I Do you agree at, with me about the Dodgers. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Dodgers are a really interesting point because let's see who the Dodgers have committed long-term money to. Mookie Betts, who is, you know, one of the most consistent players in baseball, who posts who, uh, you know, you know what you're getting from Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, who is the most consistent player in baseball. Those are the guys that have gotten big money from the Dodgers. And so and and I'm going to jump in real quick on those two players, just to follow up on your point. This is after Andrew got uh, Mookie when the Red Sox ran out of leverage and basically had to give him away. And then Mookie took a ton of deferred money in his deal. uh, So it turned out to be a weird team-friendly $350, $60 million contract. And Freddie Freeman, he got after the Braves went to, uh, you know, made the trade for Matt Olson. Their negotiations fell apart. Freddie's camp had no leverage in that situation. And that's when Andrew landed those two players when he was in a great uh, position to negotiate. And and it's going to be different with Otani. Because I agree with you. I think there's a chance someone steps out and shocks us with a number. Yeah, uh, I, you know, if you had asked me six months ago, where's Otani going? I would have said Dodgers. I don't think I would say that right now. And uh, yeah, and, and I think I think the the UCL injury reinforces that idea because I think there were I think there would be teams out there like the Dodgers and like the Mets even who they're going to offer Otani. Right. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that the Dodgers and Mets are both going to be in on the Otani bidding. But I think their contracts would likelier be more incentive based or conditional or, you know, if you make X starts, the salary is this. 
I don't think Shohei Otani has any interest in any of that. He has been throughout his major league career, extremely clear with what he wants. And it's simple. He, you know, foregoing hundreds of millions of dollars to sign originally for $2.3 million, um, taking a two-year arbitration deal that cost him ultimately tens of millions because in that first year of that arbitration deal, it was his breakout MVP season, not trying to push the envelope in arbitration when he very easily could have argued for $50 million this past season and instead settled for 30. I'm not begrudging him that that's, you know, like it's his prerogative to go out and handle his money the way he wants to. He just hasn't been somebody who's pushed super hard for it. He wants it clean. He wants it easy. He wants it uncomplicated. And if you give him that, I think he got the best shot. And that's why I think there's going to be a team early on that fires its best bullet first. And it would not shock me to see Otani's free agency wrapped up a lot quicker than people think because he doesn't want something like this lingering, particularly in a situation where he's already got a lot on his mind and on his plate because he's going to be trying to rehab an elbow. Okay, uh, you uh, are skeptical about him going back to the Angels. You expressed doubt uh, about the Mets and the Dodgers and whether or not they would structure a deal that he would want. So give me the teams that you think might be in that category. Um, and before you say it, I'm going to throw one at you. The team that we talked about making the insane offer last winter, the Texas Rangers. Yeah, I, that's, that's the one. I, I'm not going to say that the Rangers are the favorite right now because I don't think we know, but I think the Rangers are going to be very in on Shohei Otani. I think Mariners are going to be very in. I think San Francisco is going to be very in. I think the Chicago Cubs are certainly going to be in the process. Um, and there's going to be a team buster, and I don't know who it is at this point, that I think because the UCL brought the price down is probably going to enter the fray just to see – you know, kick the tires a little bit and see, hey, maybe we can get this at a discount because that that to me is why the Mets have become as intriguing as they have here, because this is not Shohei Otani at full value. Uh, this is him on the 20 or 30 or however much you want percent off shelf. And if he does come back, if he has Tommy John surgery and comes back and is a starting pitcher again, uh, you got the you got the bargain of your life for Otani if you're an owner. Wow. Uh, real quick, because I mentioned I got this dentist appointment coming up. Do you think we're that's where we're headed? Tommy John surgery. I uh, you know the the thing that points me in that direction is I'm not sure Perry Manassian, the Angels GM, would have come out and said a tear in his UCL if it was like a grade one. You know, if it's if it's just a little mini tear where a great they, point. Yeah. If you know, if if it's a Masahiro Tanaka tear where you feel like you can play through it and push through it and PRP through it, um it, they would have said a forearm strain. They would have said elbow inflammation, you know. I just Cramping, don't think whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, whatever could however you want a little bit. You're yeah, right. I I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Um, but it, it, even so, at that point, it's like you've got a ticking time bomb in the elbow. It's almost like having surgery buster behooves him a little bit more because at least for teams, 
At that point, you have clarity. I'm the last person who will ever say that having surgery is better than not having surgery. But in the context of this situation, maybe because of the clarity that it provides, and and listen, there's a lot of opacity to this clarity, um, but because of the, the relative clarity that it provides, I think it could be beneficial toward his free agency at very least. Because of Bukshambi, I couldn't give you a proper introduction today uh, and, and uh, welcome you back to the podcast since your accident. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm hanging in there and uh, I'm looking forward to being back out on the road for the playoffs, hopefully. All right. So. Having covered a lot of managers, a lot of players through the years, that was a nice non-answer. <laughs> I hope you feel better because it sounds like it's been a tough road. It, it, you know what? It's... Uh, it's it's been okay. Thankfully, uh, I have a wonderful family uh, that takes care of me uh, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and makes sure to give me the requisite amount of grief uh, for moving around like an old man. So it's great. Well, hang in there. Uh, we've been thinking about you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Buster. Uh, good luck at the dentist. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Friday? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. So I need you to describe, because you're obviously at heart a huge baseball fan, how you heard the news about Otani and what was your internal reaction when you did hear that news? Oh, my goodness. So I know a lot of East Coasters woke up to the news, but you and Tell and everyone here know me well enough to know I did not wake up to the news. I was awake when it happened. Post game after that game, too, uh, when Bill Nevin told reporters, I saw the tweets from all of the beat reporters and just, you know, my, my heart dropped into my stomach immediately and, you know, just so upsetting for the game. You know, as you're saying, as a baseball fan, upset for the player, of course, but upset for all of us that we don't get to see him pitch this season and TBD moving forward. Yeah, I had a long conversation with an agent yesterday about how uh, if, in fact, he winds up requiring a second Tommy John surgery, the list of pitchers who come back from that 
and, and had an extended run as a pitcher is so short. There's just no way to know exactly what he's going to provide as a pitcher moving forward. Absolutely. But, you know, a great guy to look to uh, this year is Nathan Navaldi. Yep. Um, one of the first guys I thought of. I know he has still struggled with injuries after that second Tommy John, but when he's on, he's really on. He's been a huge part of that Rangers team uh, this season. So you have to hope. And by the way, like, I'm still not convinced that Otani isn't superhuman. So if anyone is going to come back from a second Tommy John and somehow be even better, like rookie of the year style, it's going to be uh, Shohei Otani. So I will maintain all of that hope. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 1.220. That was, now that we can unfortunately close the book on it, Shohei Otani's OPS as a batter in games that he pitched this year. That is the highest OPS in games by a player in games that he pitched since at least 1901 with a minimum of 60 plate appearances. He had 372 in games that he pitched this year, and he capped off his final pitching performance with a 115.7 mile an hour home run in that first game of the doubleheader. That is the hardest hit home run by a player who was pitching in that game. Tracked by Sackass, and of course, the top list is all him. And so, Unfortunate that we're capping it, that a race that is done, but let's really appreciate what he did. And by the way, until the Angels play their 131st game and he falls off the uh, qualified list, he is currently the leader in opponent batting average among qualified uh, pitchers. Number two. Number two is 10. So if we're going to say, uh, all Western divisions say. So we go now still in the ale of us to Zach Gala, who hit his 10th career home run last night. Maybe I was one of the few locked into uh, A's White Sox listening to our friend Jason Benetti happily doing so. But Zach Gala hit his 10th career home run last night in just his 35th career game. That's the fewest games to 10 career runs in A's franchise history. And not every franchise history is super notable in terms of having a guy come up and hit a ton of home runs. But he broke a record held by Mark McGuire, who got there in 41 games. So I'd say that's a pretty notable one to now be at the top of that list. And he's been really, really fun to watch. So I was really excited to have a round number of reason to uh, talk about him. Number one. Number one is four. So now we go to the NL West, to the San Francisco Giants, who we have on Sunday Baseball uh, this weekend. And Paul DeYoung, who they picked up and on Wednesday, in their game against the Phillies, he had four RBI 
including the game winner. He went three for five in his first ever game with the Giants. He officially signed his deal that morning after, uh, of course, being traded from the Cardinals to the Blue Jays and then released when uh, Bo Bichette got healthy for RBI. We're tied for the third most by any player in his first career game with the Giants since RBI became official in 1920. Alex Dickerson in 2019 had six. Denard Spann had five in 2016. Then we have DeYoung, Brandon Crawford, Kevin Mitchell, Bobby Bonds, and Wadey Lockman. We each had four, so kind of a potpourri. Giants history, both recent and not so recent, but this is what we've seen the Giants do. And who knows, maybe it's one game, maybe he's made adjustments, only time will tell. But I have a colleague at MLB.com, I Andrew Simon, who the moment that they signed Paul Jam said he's going to have those Marco Scudero vibes. And I could totally see that with him. So we'll see. Maybe it's one game. Maybe it's something that really helps them. We'll have to see. But either way, he basically won them that game after Camilo Dobal struggled yet again. Yeah, it was very interesting that the Blue Jays uh, had so little patience for him, you know, when he he was there. Before you go, uh, you know, Otani continues to hit. I've talked to people who know him, and they really believe that he's focused on putting up as many home runs as possible. What's your best guess as to where he finishes up for the home runs this year, Sarah? What number? Uh, oh, my gosh. I mean, let's see. He's got 44 right now, and I feel like if anything may be more motivated, I'm really hoping he knocks on the door of 60, but at least, you know, 55-plus, something like that would be really, really fun to see. And I'm so glad that he will be hitting, at least while he figures out what to do with regard to his arm. And, uh, again, he is such an amazing hitter. The pitching was so much fun to watch, and it's such a bummer. We won't be seeing it for these last, you know, five, six weeks, but... Enjoy Otani the header because he is so much fun to watch. No doubt about that. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, what's going on this week? Well, Buster, summer is slipping away, and you and I had a brief discussion before we just started up formally. Apparently, there's a chill in the air in Montana. Is it sweatshirt weather yet? It was last night. Uh, Yeah, we went to dinner, and we came out, and it was like, okay, here we go. And uh, Uh and Liz said to me, I am, I, she, she's just, you could just see in her face. I don't want to start thinking about snow. I think I told you I used the snowblower 26 times last winter here in Bozeman. <laughs> you didn't tell me that, but I will tell you that here in Philadelphia, I did not see a flake of snow probably for the first time in my lifetime. And I don't know whether that's good, bad or otherwise, but whatever it is, it's coming soon. And it means that the dog days of summer are just about finished. We're about ready to Turn the corner to Labor Day and beyond when uh, the, the the wheat and the chaff start to separate in baseball. Yeah, well, and this year, 
the dog days of summer in, in August include the terrible news about Shohei Otani with a torn UCL. And uh, as we've talked about in the past, you're not only are you a graphic artist, but you're a huge baseball fan. So I'm just curious about your reaction uh, when you saw this. Yeah, same as everybody else's. He is uh, just, he elevates the game. He's doing things that none of us have ever seen before. And to uh, think about his career being on hold as a two way player, much less in jeopardy, it's distressing. Um, you know, I'm involved with the marketing of the game. It's terrible from that perspective. Um, all of it is just ungood and buried in there on the Angels' news is that Mike Trout is on the shelf again, too. So, not good times if you are a, a a holistic fan of baseball looking at these two guys in that franchise. So I made the comparison yesterday to, I remember hearing the the, the news about Bo Jackson with his hip, yeah. that uh, when he suffered that, that, you know, that, that that's what I felt when I heard about Otani, that you're like, oh my gosh, like this incredible thing is not going to continue. And it was just so distressing. Um, you know, I mean, was that a fair comparison in your eyes? Yeah, I think so. And at the same time, Stephen Strasburg is hanging it up in Washington. And, you know, why I thought of that was because of the fact that we see some stars kind of uh, coming from a long ways away. And in the case of Bo Jackson and Shohei Otani, I think it's fair to say that they share this uh, this attribute that uh, they were uh, expected in some respects, especially Bo, who was such a you know, a heralded college football and baseball player at Auburn. And, you know, it's it's a it's a rough thing for the sport. I think the Bo Jackson comparison is a long time ago now, Buster, but what a talent he was. Yeah. And as they say, it it just feels like you you just thinking, boy, we're not allowed to see have fun things in our lives. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. Something better for us. Buster, Major League Baseball shifted west in 1958. When the Dodgers left Brooklyn for L.A. and the Giants relocated from Manhattan to San Francisco, and the very first West Coast game in Major League Baseball history took place on April 15, 1958 at Seals Stadium, located at 16th and Bryant Streets in San Francisco's Mission District. The Dodgers and Giants renewed their rivalry on the other side of the American continent that day in front of 23,448 spectators and the home team won eight to nothing. Seals Stadium played a host to the Giants for their first two seasons out west in 1958 and 1959 before the club moved into brand new Candlestick Park. But the ballpark's history dated back to 1931 when it debuted as the home of the Pacific Coast League San Francisco Giants, or excuse me, San Francisco Seals and Mission Reds. This arrangement buster meant that the ballpark was constructed with three dressing rooms to accommodate the two home teams, plus the visiting club. 17-year-old San Francisco native Joe DiMaggio broke in with the Seals in 1932. The following year, he hit safely in 61 consecutive games. The Mission Reds departed for Hollywood after the 1937 season, and the Seals gave way to the Giants two decades later. Seals Stadium was a handsomely streamlined park with a simple one-deck design punctuated by decorative exterior stonework and an Art Deco ticket office near the right field corner. Known as the Queen in Concrete, 
the ballpark sat on an elevated parcel overlooking the Mission District. The Ham's Brewery was located right behind the ballpark, and it was topped off by a massive neon sign that featured a beer glass encircled by neon rings, animated in such a way to suggest that it was filling up and emptying out. Seal Stadium was built with night baseball in mind, Buster. Six banks of light towers that were considered to be the best in minor league baseball. The ballpark had no roof over the grandstand. This was a nod to San Francisco's dry summers, and it had a capacity of 16,000 when it opened. Its life in the big leagues was short, but several milestones occurred there. Amazingly, the great Hank Aaron had only one game in his career when he hit three home runs. That took place at Seal Stadium on June 21st, 1959. Future Hall of Famer Orlando Cepeda hit his first career home run there during that ballpark's inaugural MLB game in 1958, and Willie McCovey played his first big league game there the following season. Giants great Willie Mays hit 32 home runs at Seals Stadium. The final game there, it took place on September 20th, 1959, with the Giants losing to the Dodgers 8-2. Just two weeks later, head groundskeeper Harvey Spargo pried up home plate. Workmen began to rip out bleacher seats, and a one-ton steel wrecking ball began to do its work. Seal Stadium was replaced by a strip mall, which is now anchored by a 60,000-square-foot Safeway supermarket. Buster, you can go to the frozen foods aisle and have a look at where third base used to be, or better yet, go to Cheney Stadium in Tacoma, Washington, where Seal Stadium's six light towers ended up. Take in a Tacoma Rainiers game, make your way to Section K, sit in one of the 20 wooden seats that were brought here from Seal Stadium, and transport yourself back to the 1958 season when MLB moved west. It all started at San Francisco's Steel Seals Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. I think this is definitely the first frozen uh, foods aisle reference on the podcast. <laughs> uh, I, so the lights are still in use. These lights that were built in the 1950s, made in the 1950s, they're still in use. Made in the 1930s, if I'm not mistaken, Buster, because it was wow. a minor league stadium, as I said, for a couple of decades. So, yeah, they are still in use. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, Another road something. trip for us. Yeah. To go to Tacoma at some point, that that absolutely would be a lot of fun. All right. Let's get to this week's quiz. All right. Sarah is not here with us, is she? Or how are we doing this? Bruce what are we is doing? pinch hitting for Sarah. Yeah. Bruce, this this is Bruce. Count right. Sarah's record. All right. This is the way it's going to be. Very good. So here we go. Week 24, the New York Mets recently announced that they will be retiring the uniform numbers of Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. So here's this week's question. This club has only one retired number. Is it A, the Blue Jays, B, the Diamondbacks, C, the Rockies, or D, the Rays? One retired number, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, Rockies, or Rays? Wow. Uh, all right, I've got my answer in place. Bruce, you want to go first? Since you're the Mets fan, happy that uh, Daryl and yeah. Doc having their numbers retired? Definitely, yeah. This is a this is tough. I'm going between two. I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. Okay. Hmm. Taylor? Well, I saw the Blue Jays. They recently put uh, Jose Bautista in their ring of honor. I don't know if they retired his number. Um, I'm going to go, I'll go Rockies. 
See, here's the thing. I'm thinking about the history. I'm thinking about the sentimentality. We know that Tampa Bay Rays, for example, retired the number of Wade Boggs, who got what hit a career hit number 3,000 with them. And so it feels like that they have an ownership that is willing to give out, you know, retire numbers to a lot of people, at least <laughs> the, the former owner. So I'm with, I'm with Taylor. I'm going to go Rockies. I'm thinking Todd Helton. Well, Bruce, you have successfully pinch hit here because uh. it's the Blue Jays whose lone retired number is retired in memory of Roy Halladay, the great pitcher. Rockies with Todd Helton and Larry Walker, Hall of Famer Larry uh. Walker. The Rays, to Buster's point, have both Wade Boggs and Don Zimmer, who was a coach there in his (laughs) later years. So random. And uh, to flesh it out, the Diamondbacks have Luis Gonzalez and the great Randy Johnson retired. Yeah, you have to retire Luis Gonzalez's number if you're the Diamondbacks because he got the game-winning World Series hit. And, you know, the big unit is the big unit. All right, Bruce, way to go. Sarah's going to be very proud and very thankful. Always happy to help out. Very nice. Todd, thanks for doing this. Thank you, guys. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. P.K. Steinberg writes in, do you think uh, Moreno regrets not selling the Angels? Uh, And he has another question. Do you sing in the car? And if so, what's your go-to? No one is around. Rock out. Anthematic song. You did a lot of driving. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'm definitely singing. My dog... Uh, I'm sure by the end was trying to break out Quinny of my car uh, <laughs> because she's sick of listening to the same songs from the 1980s. She's like, no, enough, enough of that, <laughs> right? So I had to Trapped. play her the George Clinton song from the 80s, Atomic Dog, just to placate her. <laughs> she, she loved it, I'm sure. Oh, I guess I should answer the question about Artie Moreno. About Artie Moreno. Yeah. No, I don't think he regrets it. I think he's going to make a ton of money when he eventually sells the team. And as I wrote in a piece yesterday, I do believe there's a chance this pushes Otani back to the Angels. Oh, interesting. We got another question on relocation for Mr. Jakey. It's a long one, so we'll save it for Monday. Uh, Let's go to Brad Barber. He writes in, well, the poor history of pitchers staying healthy and effective after two Tommy John surgeries caused teams looking at Otani to see him as a hitter only this offseason. Or as a pitcher with a lot, a hitter and a pitcher bearing a lot of risk. It's why, you know, as I was telling Jeff, I don't think the Dodgers in the end are going to be comfortable with the amount of investments going to be required to get Otani because uh, Andrew Freeman, as I said to Jeff, he he is someone who is risk averse. And now Otani represents so much risk because you don't know what he's going to bring on the pitching side. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes in, Buster, do you do we still think there is an emotional reaction after watching the Yankees lose nine straight games? And is it fair for the Yanks to fire Aaron Boone in the offseason, even though he is not the one who built the this week roster that's behind Judge and Garrett Cole? I think where the Yankees are right now is that whatever changes are made, whether it's the manager, general manager, people on staff, I think everyone would to reaction should be, you know what, it's fair. Because it has been a disastrous year, as Brian Cashman said the other day. Tim Continenza writes in Buster, do you believe Bill White, who is 89, will ever make the Hall of Fame uh, for White's overall contribution to the game as a player announcer and NL president? Yeah, I think eventually he will. But this is a a case where you wish that they would uh, just look into the future and say, yeah, eventually this guy's going to get in. The saddest case of that where that didn't happen was with Ron Santo. Right. I mean, he was a borderline Hall of Famer. People were clamoring for him to get in and to be honored. Then he passed away, and then I think it was the following winter or following summer 
he got honored at Cooperstown with only his family there as opposed to I, I sometimes those decisions kind of drive me crazy. You know, like, I, I mean, you and I have been talking about Janet Marie Smith, like the last, uh, you know, few years, like mm-hmm. she's going to be honored at the Hall of Fame someday. Let's go. Let's make Let's it happen, along here. You know, Janet's a treasure. Get her in there. Come on, everyone. Right. All right. Exactly. That does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this weekend. We will be back on Monday. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Taylor, uh, to Bruce, to Sarah, to Boog, to Jeff Passon, to Todd Radom. Uh, have a great day, everybody. Uh, you know, Thanks for everything this week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against. Every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.